Welcome to the By the Hood podcast. Before we jump into this episode, just wanted to make you aware that on our website, bythehood.com, we have a free webinar on an intro to the stock market. So please go check it out. Just go to bythehood.com and you'll get the free intro to the stock market webinar. Take it easy and enjoy this episode. What's up, people? Welcome to this episode of the Buy the Hood podcast or webcast because I don't know how you're consuming this content. I'm your host as always. My name is Jimmy. And as we start off every show, that's with gratitude. Just want to say thank you to all the students from Buy the Hood University, as well as the youth from the Buy the Hood Ownership Camp. Yes, camp is approaching this summer. It will start in June and you'll get more information about that. Um, in fact, right here in Philadelphia, we're having a black tie event um, in June, by June 18th, to kind of like, you know, um, take anything that is made from that to go right to the youth, right? So we're trying to do as much as we can to improve our camp. And that's for kids ages five and up. It's completely free for the youth. So, you know, check in with us at bythehood.com or any of our social media platforms at bythehood to get more information about the event, as well as about the camp to register your kid for the camp. Uh, My partner, Corey, is not here, but As you know, our platform is designed to highlight brothers and sisters who are doing amazing work, putting out positive energy into our community. We want to highlight them and tell their story. Listen, this brother right here, Kevin Matthews, uh, you know, is is building a tremendous brand within the space of financial literacy. Um, He's been on a number of platforms, too many to name, but he's doing great work and we want to make sure we highlight him and tell his story. Um, So, Kevin, how are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Listen, um, let's jump right into it. Um, first and foremost, before we start off anything, I just want to say thank you for your time. Um, I know your time is valuable. That's our most valuable asset. So we definitely appreciate you sharing your story. Anytime. All right. So listen, let's jump right into it. So tell us about your uh, you know, upbringing. Where are you born and raised? Where are you from? Yeah, born and raised in the heart of Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, I spent really my entire life up until college there, um, then went on to Hampton University and now currently live in North Carolina, which is close to another Black Wall Street, which is known as Durham, North Carolina. Um, so that's where I'm from. A lot of my personal story and upbringing is really based around how I was raised in Tulsa and everything that we know about the massacre today and about Black Wall Street today has a lot of influence in everything that I do. I want to ask about that, though, because, um, you know, we all we all know the story. Um, we've seen documentaries. We've read the books. Um, but for, as someone who grew up there, how um, is that story talked about for our, with our people that actually grew up in there? It's like it's something that's talked about, like when you're in school and home, like how is it growing up in that um, environment? Yeah. So growing up in that environment prior to, let's say, 2020-2021, it wasn't really talked about at all. And it actually was not even required to be put into the school curriculum until about a year or two ago. That's interesting. Um, Yeah, yeah. So it goes back a ways, but basically we didn't really understand what happened during the massacre outside of people who may have survived. So like I grew up in the 80s and 90s. So you you hear about like one old guy at church and you're like, "Eh, I don't know. You know, nobody had any real information up until 2001. And the only reason that we had that state commission study in 2001, which was 90 years after it happened, was because of the Oklahoma City bombing that happened in 1995. So Mm -hmm. like the the research process and, and what to teach kids and what to even put in the history books, that wouldn't have started until 2001. And I graduated high school in 2008. 
So, you know, that, that tells you like the, the information gap of what the things we didn't have and why you see so many documentaries now than what you saw maybe 10 or even 15 years ago. Interesting, interesting. So um, your upbringing um, and your parents, how have they shaped like the work that you do now in terms of entrepreneurship and also financial literacy? Yeah, I, I would say my dad really shaped that, that entrepreneurship vision for me. My dad always, growing up, always had tons of jobs and he, he always had like a, a main job and then that job really fueled his other skills. And that was something I, I saw by observation. And then something that he sat down and said, hey, look, son, like, this is what I do. And here's how this led to this and led to like the next thing. So, for example, uh, my dad's main job for the majority of my life was as a firefighter. And on, on the fire department, you learn CPR, you learn how to cook, and you meet a lot of people. And from the people he met, they told him about like having, you know, multiple streams of income. My dad took that, went home and said, look, I got this, this, this nine to five was fire departments at different hours, but I got this. How can I increase this? So my dad took the skills that he learned at his job, CPR, and took that, became an instructor and started teaching across the community. So he would teach um, swim instructors. He taught daycares, nurseries, anybody who wanted to learn about CPR and the importance of it. My dad taught that. And that was his first like secondary business. And then because of that, he got to know more people, right? You know, people's kids, those kids grow up, those kids become teachers, need to learn CPR. And that became a business. So he took that he bought and sold cars at one point in time. He had uh, a black business directory. So before Google, um, he had uh, basically a, a phone book that was called the Green Pages. Every black owned business, almost every black owned business had an ad, had a section inside of Green Pages. So lawn, catering, food, gift wrapping, whatever you could imagine. He went around the neighborhood, put everybody there and sold those books for like $2 a piece on top of the advertising revenue he had for being on the cover and everything else. So I, I saw that in my formative years growing up and said, okay, this is great. He's got different buckets. He's got people sending him money in the, in the mail, like for, for advertising. I, I got to figure out like, how can I replicate that? And I saw why it was so important to have those different income streams. Mm, so you led, you led by example too. It wasn't just showing you. He had, yeah. He, he, telling you, he actually showed you. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Um, and you talked about going to Hampton. What was your major when you went to Hampton? My major was economics. Okay. Okay. So let me ask you this question. What made you want to study economics? Like when you're choosing your major, what makes you want to focus on economics? Yeah. So, so going to school, I, I knew I wanted to be in business. Like I was just a, a business guy growing up. I can blame my dad for that. <laughs> but also, yeah. you know, like from the movies, I'm like, oh, I want to be like the guy with the cell phone and like busy and doing stuff. And assume he makes that person makes a lot of money. Like quick stories. In fact, when I was a kid, I was like four years old, I was old lady at church would give me like these voided checks. And I would like write checks to all the kids. Like, hey, here's your paycheck, right? <laughs> um, and that's probably like, I didn't do that for something real bad today. <laughs> but back then in the 90s, I guess they were expired. I don't know. Um, so I would have a fake briefcase and everything. And so I, I just knew like there was something about business that I liked. Um, so I started my, my you know, college journey as a business business management ma major. The further I got into that, I was like, oh, this sounds like, like I'm managing a Best Buy. I don't really want to do that. I want to understand how money moves and why things happen. And economics was really that story. It was about supply and demand. And almost everything that we do or and don't do is influenced some way in economics. And I kind of fell in love with the topic. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about building bread. Like, so, um, you know, you leave Hampton, uh, what is your what is your first career before you you know you start to build building bread like you know how'd that go when you first left Hampton? Yeah, so 
what I did before before leaving Hams, I took two internships that really shaped my career too. The first one is I took an uh, internship in New York. They flew me out, I got to stay up there for 10 weeks. And from a guy from Oklahoma, yeah, that was that was a, a that was new, right? <laughs> I'd never like I had never even ridden on a train before. Like train, public bus, like nobody ever did that in Oklahoma. So um, that was one thing. And that taught me the stock market up close and personal. And it was utterly confusing. And I said, this is complicated. It don't need to be like this. This, this got to be simple. So from there, I decided, look, I don't know if that level of finance is for me. I'm going to go into teaching. So when I graduated in 2012, I did Teach for America, taught seventh grade math for a few years. Um, and that that really had probably one of the biggest impacts on me because I didn't realize at the time, but like it, it helps you to tell stories. <clears throat> mm-hmm. It helps you to to it's really practice repetition for presentations, which is what I do now. Right. If I'm yeah. teaching classes about the stock market, where do you get those skills from? Right. And how do you explain it in a way that anybody can understand? How can you be comfortable in front of a crowd of, of you know, teenagers or, or executives or what have you? And that I, I took those skills from teaching, transitioned to become an advisor in New York. And those skills were one of the biggest uh, translators, if you will, and biggest assets that I had in my career. Okay, amazing. So tell us about like building bread, the brand, where'd that come from, the name and everything? How'd you start to uh, build that up? Yeah, so I actually started in 2010. When I, I finished the internship and was like, this has got to be an easier way. And I, and I saw the power of investing too and said, everybody should know about this. My parents had never owned stocks at that point. At that point in time, nobody knew what the stock market was. And I said, like, this is a chance to really take this information, bring it home, help me to understand it, but also help others. Uh, the name just came from, you know, I, I had a, a theory, if you will, that you, know, you, you have to build wealth. It's not something that's overnight. And I didn't want it to say just, you know, build wealth. That's pretty generic. <laughs> so I said, let's let's build bread. And as a as a hungry college kid, right? I'm like, you know, I can I can do I can do a lot of fun things. I can call it breadcrumbs. I can, you know, do a newsletter and call it bread slices or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the name actually stuck. Um was funny because I asked him like, man, name is stupid, you'll never go anywhere. And like, you know, 12 years later, I'm like, ah, look at you. Um, <laughs> So surprisingly, it did stick. It has stayed in fashion, at least so far. Um, but that's kind of how the brand started. I started really to educate people and, and to primarily make investing simple. I started, though, teaching about budgeting, credit scores, all that type of stuff. And then as I became a, an advisor and was more, you know, quote unquote, trained in the stock market, that's when I started to, to kind of evolve and be known uh, more as an investor in a stock market educator. Got you. Got you. A couple questions about that. Um, becoming a financial advisor. Uh, what was that journey like for you? And um, what has that taught you um, that you didn't get from economics? Yeah, yeah, it, it, there are a few things. So I'll start with things that did translate from, from learning economics. When we talk about uh, a supply and demand, so take Netflix, right? Like mm-hmm. as, at the time that we're talking about this, Netflix is down like 30 something percent oh, yeah, in a single day. Right yeah. <laughs> they're getting smacked. But from an economic perspective, we're talking about supply and demand. And there's way more supply for streaming services today than what it was 10 years ago. Netflix was the only person, almost the only person on the block. Now you got Disney Plus and Hulu and Peacock and Paramount Plus. Like it's HBO Max. Like it's too many of them. Yeah. So supply and demand. You're, you know, demand, the supply went up, Netflix dropped, right? So that, that part was an easy translator. The part that was difficult for me and that I had to learn was number one, being only 2%, right? All of all financial advisors out there, only 2% are black. So how do you learn how to be you in a space that is primarily white? 
Um, mm. So that was that was one thing because in the financial advisory space at this point in time, it was about assets. You had to have clients who had money. And most other people that were white that had their dad was a, an advisor, they would just get their book. They would inherit that, right? I didn't have that. So I had to learn, like, how do I navigate this space? How do I convince people when, you know, you're 50 or 60, and you got $2 million, how are you? You're 25. What do you know? You've never seen this money before, son. <laughs> you, you know, how are you gonna how are you gonna relay that? So those are some of the things, those communication skills, those um relatability skills, and then be able to show people value. Like I know about X, Y, and Z, and you need to trust my knowledge and my training versus just looking at, you know, my young face, right? So those are those are some of the things I had to go through um through that process. Yeah. And one of the things that I like about your content and your message is you're always talking and preaching about the long term. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know just from being online that <laughs> a lot of folks are, are uh, what we like to call they're chasing lottery tickets. Right. Yeah. They, yeah. They think, they're, they think they're investing, but they're not really investing. Um, how do you deal with that? Right. Because, you know, you're a younger you're a younger guy. And I'm pretty sure people from your age and your demographic, like they don't want to hear the bill long term. Right. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, I, I've, I've learned to evolve with it. Um, it's It was harder when I first started this journey than what it is now, because people people kind of realize that over time. But the really key thing is it's, it's, it's balance. It's balance. It's if you want to trade, you want to try and find your lottery ticket, go ahead, knock yourself out. However, I would recommend that might be like 1% of what you do. Right. The other 99 percent needs to be something that's that's long term. But I also rely on on stats and say, look, if you hold on average, right, going all back to 1950, if you hold a stock for five years or more, you're talking like 90 plus percent chance that the stock is going to be positive. Do you want the 90 percent chance over five years, three years, two years? Or do you want the the five percent chance that you can try and make it overnight? one of those is easier than the other. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's a big part of it. And then I try to unveil or you know, show people how other people created wealth and how long it took them to do it. We have this, this perception, like if, if it's a Warren Buffett, if it's, you know, name rich person here, that they did it overnight, when in reality, those people started like 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. And what I've always told people is whether you want to do it, whether it's exciting or not, like, hey, I don't want to invest, you know, $200 for 20 years. The time is going to pass anyway. And whether you want to or not, the 20 years is going to pass. I would rather have something at the end of that 20 years than look back like I was born. Right. Like the other the other thing I tell people is have my parents invest, I think it was like $100 a month from the time I was born until I took that internship in 2010, had they just did that in Apple? It's $100 a month. That's not that's not a whole lot. Mm -hmm. I could have had more than $800,000, right? Like it took, what, 21 years, but it was worth it. It was worth it because the time is going to pass anyway. They didn't do that, you know, and for a bunch of reasons, like the stock market wasn't accessible and all that kind of stuff, but now I don't have it, right? So mm -hmm. now I had to start at zero and that time passed whether they knew it, whether they didn't, and that time's going to pass for my kids unless I start to take that small, long-term, these small, long-term investing steps today. So 20 years from now, my kids don't have to ask the same questions that I had to ask. Mm -hmm. Great. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, um, you know, the stock market is your primary vehicle for building wealth, obviously, like, you know, um, based upon, uh, you know, what you said. In your work and working with people that look like us, what is the biggest misconception about the stock market? The biggest one, 
I would say is we just have this misconception that it's that is gambling. And I understand what that looks like. It is it's closer to gambling if you day trading, right? Like you know, if you're doing it, like I gotta make get in and get out in 15 minutes, yeah, it might be, right? Um, but I think most of us the that barrier is one thing that holds us back. And I think we have to realize like what investing is. When you buy a stock, you are a partial owner of that company. And the only way that you win is when they win. When you're gambling, the only way the lottery wins or you win is if one, one of y'all got to lose. It, y'all don't never walk into a casino and out of the casino and a tie. Somebody won and somebody <laughs> lost. And it's usually them, either you pulling money out of their pocket or the other way around. And the casinos are designed, lotteries are designed for you to lose. Whereas the stock market is not, right? Anybody of any race or any point in the planet, we, all, we can all buy the same stock on the same day selling the same day and we all get the exact same profit or loss, right? But also mm-hmm. if if it's Apple or Netflix or whatever, when they sell more phones and they do they do better, we as investors all win. And it's not a Apple has to win for me to lose or vice versa. Yeah, I heard uh, Steve Wynn, um, who owns the Wynn Casino, he made a statement one time. He said, there's only one way to, uh, to uh, make money gambling. And he said, that is to own the casino. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, and I laughed at that because even his company, Wynn, is a publicly traded company. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's interesting. So when you so let me ask you this question. What was that moment like when you when you first discovered the stock market, how investing works, how money moves, like that light bulb moment, right? Because a lot of us aren't aren't given this information when we're, you know, growing up. Even if you talked about your, your father um having multiple businesses, but there wasn't that stock education per se. Mm-hmm. So when it finally clicked for you and you understood how this worked and how everything is connected, like what was that moment like that light bulb moment for you? And you said, oh man, this is, I can actually build wealth this way. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's kind of at my friend's expense. So the way, the way it worked is in, after my internship in 2010, I was like just buzzing with all this market information and just news. So what I did was, was open was called stock simulator. I did Investopedia, investopedia.com slash simulator, totally free. And we had a contest. We joined a game and said, we all get $100,000. It was fake money. And as a simulate, if you bought this, how much would you have, right? So we did this for an entire year. We'd text each other, like, who's in the lead and all kind of stuff. And I won. I, I beat them. I had the best investments. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm actually question: the way that works. Is it, is it like, you know, you pick from that day and then you keep checking back as time goes on? Yeah, so it tracks it for you. It's, just, it's called paper trading, but it's like, you bought, yeah. I keep picking on Netflix because it's just the story of the day, yeah. but let's, let's just say Tesla, you, with your hundred thousand dollars, you put 10,000 in Tesla and okay. as the stock move in real, in real life, it'll tell you, this is what your account value is, but it's a simulation. So it's not your and actual you, But you can, game of, you can gamify that. Like, will they let you set yeah. it up like a game up there? Okay. Yeah. So you I'm can invite people. With- yeah, you should. You should. So you get to invite. Okay, yeah, I'm, fam- I'm familiar with paper trading, but I didn't know yeah. I, I, could, I could gamify that. Actually, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, I started teaching my first stock market class, that's what we did. I put everybody, you know, like 20 of us or whatever, in a group. And that's how I you know, would go through and say, hey, I like this. I don't like this. Who's who's winning? All that kind of stuff. Um, so that's the one thing that sets it apart from like the other like more sophisticated investing apps. Um, but in either case, that's how I started. I was like, oh, wow. Like, I understand this enough. And I had index funds for the most part. And they were out there trying to do fancy stuff, but I had, you know, I was like, wait, I, I actually took the 10,000, took the 100,000 and now I have more. What happens if I were to take like my little $300 and how can I make that grow? And eventually that, that started to work and then I got a job and then that started to work. Right. Um, and it also showed like we did the thing for an entire year. Um, so that, that showed that, Hey, long-term 
this can work because there were there were periods where you know you weren't in the lead and then you had months where you were in the lead and that really taught me like this is how it works in real life it's not what i saw on tv because i I did that and it didn't work. Right. <laughs> you know, so that, that's what really taught me. I think that's what set me apart from people who, who jump into something. And like, I, I call it taking a, a long walk off a short cliff. It was like, Hey, I want to invest and then like lose everything. Right. I got to sit back, try it, see what worked in a very safe environment. And if you lost money, it's fine. It wasn't real. Right. And I could take the thing that did work and practice it in real life. Okay. Okay. So I'm um, getting back to the, the brand that you're building, the building bread brand. You've also, uh, you know, written you've written um you know um books right so mm-hmm. tell us about that experience and tell us about uh, the books that you have yeah so i have uh two books one is starting point that was published in 2014 that was really how do you create wealth that lasts how do you start what is the first thing that you do you know first job just graduated like how do i start and that was one of the most popular questions i got back then is still one of the most popular questions i get today the second and most recent book was from burning the blueprint how to rebuild black wall street after a century of silence uh, that came out last year and that was a real interesting process for two reasons uh, one there was a ton of research that had to go into it uh, research that i had to to learn versus knowledge that i have in my career right so like you got a degree in economics, you write a book on money. That's not going to call it easy, but it's easier, right? I'm not a historian by trade and the information about the Tulsa race massacre and about Black Wall Street, some of that is new. And every other day at the time I was writing it in 2020, there was new stuff coming out. Like, honestly, we found new survivors between the time I finished the book and the time the book came out. Wow. So like that's, that's, that shows you like, oh, this is, cutting edge history, right? It ain't, it ain't done yet. Um, I even found out during the book writing process that I had a, a great aunt that survived and she had passed, I think in like 2000, uh, 2019. So like just before I didn't get a chance to meet her. But again, this is like cutting edge is happening like right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that part was, was a challenge. I had to do history, but also how the challenge and the journey of it was how do I make this different? There are a bunch of history books that talk about, hey, this terrible thing happened, end of story. So I want to differentiate the book and talk about this is what happened, but here's how we move forward. Here's what we do the next hundred years to create wealth, to retain wealth, and to make sure that we can rebuild Black Wall Street anywhere on the planet, but most importantly for people who look like us in a way that we can understand, in a way that we can take action. And in that process, that research and that writing, what was the most shocking thing that you learned that you didn't know going into it about, you know, um, that whole story? Ooh, um, there, there I, are, I know it's probably a whole yeah. lot, but there, <laughs> is, there, is there anything that like stands out that you- Yeah, you yeah, I'll do a, a few quick things. Um, so one, I didn't know that the massacre occurred on what should have been prom night uh, for the lone high school at the time, which Booker T. Washington High School, which is a high school that I went to and my mom went to and my parents went to. And there was um, a, a yearbook that year uh, that was in the library that was, I don't know, maybe, maybe a 15 minute walk from my house. Now, the thing was, how, how is it that I've lived here my entire life and never saw the class of 1921 and never like, wow, never conceptualizing there is, there has to be a yearbook here. Like it just, you know, when, when you talk about like history and, and placement about where you are in context, it just never occurred to me that, yes, this, the high school was founded in 1913. So it had to have been here. And if they did your books back in the day, which I probably would have known 18, but they they have one. How I, I never thought to go and look and find that. 
until researching the book and finding out that it does exist. Um, so that was one thing. I didn't know um, how bad it was in terms of like, we hear about, hey, you know, bombs may have occurred, things burned down. Um, I didn't know that the city, the, the city of Tulsa, the city council passed an ordinance to block Black folk from rebuilding. And it was actually a Tulsa real estate exchange um, that, that really headed that effort. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know it was that. Y'all didn't tell me that, right? I didn't know it was that bad. I just, I knew that the death and destruction part of it, I didn't know the city was in some ways behind it. Um, and then sanctions say, look, hey, we're going to pass this law and y'all not going to be able to rebuild. And it was so bad that the, the, the newspaper at the time printed that and said, look, they made it extreme, extremely, uh, in, uh, extremely expensive for the, quote, Negro to rebuild. There's not going to be a Black district again. That's what the paper said, word for word. Um, so those were some of the things I'm like, man, I didn't, this was worse than what I thought. And you, we already knew it was bad. Yeah, um, so yeah. those are some of the things that, that stood out to me. Wow, man. That's, 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 that's so interesting to me. Like hearing your story is so interesting to me because, um, you know, many of us didn't know all the stories until, until, you know, recent history, mm-hmm. but I always, for some reason, assumed that maybe the black kids in, 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 in the area, like there's something that's talked about. There's certain things in it, like, you know, our neighborhoods and our communities that are talked about that maybe don't get national exposure. Mm-hmm. And I just assumed that was like one of those things, but to hear you say that, no, we didn't really even talk about this either here. That's, that's very interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, it's um, that actually influenced my decision to go to Hampton because my tour guide was from Tulsa and she told me on the tour more and maybe that hour, hour and a half how long the tour was that I ever learned at home uh, or in Tulsa rather. And I was like, everybody outside knows about this, but we don't know. <laughs> Oh, I gotta go to college. <laughs> you know, it's, it's something, something right. I gotta go here. Um, but but yeah, I, I think the the optimistic part of me thinks like the four, five, six year olds now will know way more than what we did. And that's that is my hope and prayer. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like there's numerous interviews that you probably saw from some of the documentaries, every adult at that point in time, they're like, that didn't happen in Tulsa. Like everybody's like, yeah, that's not that didn't happen. I was born here, like that did not happen. And yeah. it did, right? And it, it would had to be proven to me and proven to others that that actually occurred. Man, that's interesting. That's interesting. So I wonder how that affects you in your work, considering that you're working in finance, you know, um, you know, stocks or investments, having that background as being quote, from Black Wall Street, right? Like, mm-hmm. does that, do you think about that? Like, as you, you know, as you navigate and build your brand and build what you're doing? Yeah, it does. Um, I try to be, in terms of my investment selection, I try to avoid things that I just, I think that's, you know, beyond the line for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also try to expose a lot of issues that people don't necessarily think about or don't consider in certain aspects. Um, so for example, uh, you know, whether it's, I don't know, canceling student debt or, or whatever people are arguing about in politics today, my I come in and say, look, like, or, or even if it's reparations, right? I'll say, look, this thing happened and you didn't pay for it. And in every other instance, you know, this, I need to show, I need to lay out that case from a financial perspective and say, look, this is why things are the way they are. And until X number of things happen, things are going to, you know, remain in disarray or remain in disrepair. Mm -hmm. Um, So from my perspective, I try to, to, 
be truthful about the history of how wealth was created, not just in Tulsa, but across the nation. So for example, there's the Homestead Act of 1865. That was one of the, the biggest wealth creators for white folk. And what the government did at that point in time was basically give away trillions of dollars worth of, of, of land and wealth to primarily white folks. It was like 97, 97, 98% went to white people. And those descendants are still alive today. So when people talk about pull yourself up by your bootstraps, y'all been free for X amount of time and all that kind of stuff, it's like, I mean, yeah, but you had land in your family that's appreciated since the 1850s. You won't have a a head start, right? So like, give us what we are due because we, we built certain things and certain things were taken from us. It's not always like, oh, you're lazy, oh, it's a Gucci belt, which is what some people say. It's like, nah, I had it, I built it. Y'all took it away. I, I, I need that back. And it's my job. And it's the way I try to do my job is, is to expose that and say, hey, here's, here's what actually happened. Here's what the real issue is. And here's some ways that we can fix it. Yeah. And, and, and listen, I, I, got, I got to say this again, that I love um, your page, your message, because um, you back things up with facts. Mm-hmm. You, you preach a long term and you talk about like real wealth, not just the, yeah. the lottery tickets. But I have to ask you this question because in this space where it's, it's so much noise and people doing the opposite and, you know, people, I mean, literally quite literally people scamming others um, that look like us, how, like, how does that affect you? How do you break through when there's so much nonsense out there and, you know, you have a good product and a good brand? Yeah, it, it can be difficult. Um, you know, the way social media is, is literally designed, we found this out from the, the papers that came out about Facebook, where like the negative things get the most attention, the most likes, the most discussion, whereas the positive long-term quality stuff, people don't always look at it in the same way. Um, but, but my job and the way I, I look at it is I, I stay true to me. Like I ain't for everybody. And honestly, if you're looking for a lotto ticket and you're trying to get rich tomorrow, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And it is better for me to be uh, open and honest about that. It's like, look, I'm only interested in people who are willing to listen, willing to learn, willing to trust the facts, and then build something that's solid, something that you know can last over time. So that's that's one thing. And the other thing, I think is probably my greatest asset, is just longevity. A lot of them people that was like crypto this and crypto that, they ain't here no more. Right. They, they just they vanished. Right. But I've been around since 2010, at least from, from building bread perspective. And you're going to survive a lot of those fads. And I think when people start to see you for a while and was like, yeah, it was, you know, everybody was talking about, you know, Bitcoin at one point and Ethereum and Dogecoin, Shiba, like they gone now. Right. But I'm still here. Right. And, and people who talk about quality like yourself, will still, we are still here. And I think like longevity is really going to outlast a lot of these flash in the pans are definitely going to outlast a lot of these lotto ticket opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's good stuff. I, I want to hear that. So in this journey of yours, um, outside of the ones you've written yourself, what would you say is a favorite book or a book that's just inspired you along your journey? Man, um, there there have been a few. I would say the most recent one. You can name a couple. It doesn't have to be one. You can name a couple. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would say James Clear. He wrote um, Atomic Habits, and that that helped me both like where I am now, where I, I plan to go in the future, but also helped me to understand how I got to where I am. And okay. the basic premise of the book is you start really, really, really tiny about whatever habit that is. And whether it's five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, that adds up into an incredible skill. And I think that that life-changing skill set and that life-changing knowledge that you may acquire, that is how I got here. 
Like I, I, the reason I'm here today is because I started 12 years ago and people was like, oh, you're in CNBC, you're in here. I'm like, yeah, that started as a kid that didn't nobody know with two followers mm-hmm. on Twitter. It was, it was yeah. me and my mom <laughs> and that was it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when I wrote, when I was writing these books, it was, let me read five pages a day. Let me, let me write two paragraphs a day. And you do, you chain that together and you have a book. Right. You, you chain, you know, reading an article every day and then you start to become a stock market expert after years of the time. And when I, when I was writing books in the past and when I was going through my journey, I didn't always understand that. Right. Like I, I wanted to be an overnight success sometimes and didn't really value those small incremental changes over time. Just like we talk about compounding interest for investments. Mm-hmm. There's a compounding interest of experience and a compounding interest of knowledge and investment in yourself that also occurs. So it's really helped me to kind of refocus and and focus on those things I'm still incrementally trying to learn and trying to improve on. Man, I love to hear I love to hear uh, someone talk about the journey. Right. Yeah. Because that's what it's really about. Right. So Mm -hmm. a quick example. You know, I'm, I'm here in Philadelphia and. Um, I remember when Kevin Hart would do like, you know, stand-up shows, like yep. in the local scene and it'd be five, 10 people there and he would be charging $5 or a dollar to get in. Right. Mm-hmm. Now you see him, he's the biggest movie star and, and, and people think like, oh man, this came out of nowhere, but he put work in for years, years, I mean, years and years, you know, it was the saying is like a, a overnight success is like 15 to 20 years, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it takes 15 to 20 years to be overnight success. However they say it. Yeah, um, Absolutely. Yeah, so that's interesting, man. And you know, I'm glad you embraced the uh, the journey. Um, about the future, though, what do you see for building bread, and what do you see for yourself in the future as you move forward? What are some of the things that you're looking to do or looking to get into? Yeah, so for me, like that, that next area is I really want to move into like the equity space. Um, so those are in the whether it's the financial world or influencer world, whatever world you want to call it, there are a lot of. Um, there's a lot of difference. You get paid from like an affiliate link. You like my link, I get a stock, you get a stock, right? Like it's what everybody was doing with Robin Hood was popular. Mm-hmm. I want to move into the spot where I can start to either be paid in equity and ownership of a lot of these up and coming apps or have an opportunity to be invited to the table to acquire and buy a portion of it. Because that's, that's what I've seen from those who do well financially and then those that really set themselves apart. And it's that, that ownership, not just from the business that I personally own, but getting opportunity to own incredible businesses outside of the stock market. Because when like a Robinhood goes public or any of these apps that we think about, Calendly, that like I would love to own a portion of that. That's a black owned business too, right? Yep. So yep. being being invited to that space and earning ownership in those spaces, like that's that's the spot that I kind of want to move to in the future. Interesting. And shout out to the brother from Calendly. I saw that he yeah. just made the Forbes list. He just made the Forbes list for the first time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that, I that wish was... I could have gotten it early. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this question. And you, you kind of like, you know, talked a little bit about, um, you know, some of the crypto. Do, do you have um, interests or like, do you deal with any other asset class, maybe real estate, precious metals, crypto, anything at all? Yeah, I, I got some crypto. Um, so I'm not anti-crypto. Um, I get that rap sometimes on Twitter, but I'm not like Bitcoin is going to X. It's like, just like did we talked about like long-term investing. Like I got yeah. some, I keep buying some every two weeks. Yeah. And I, I let it ride. Um, so I, I do think there is some value to it. It is a, an evolving space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some people got a little overconfident. Like we had that one great, well, not one great year, but we had a great year in like 2017 or whatever. And then people were just like, this is the way, this is everything. And I was like, look, call me, call me in 10 years and, and we'll see. 
right? We'll see if the last 10 years will match what's going to happen over the next 10 years. Um, and then I also did for a while, um, there's, I feel like you're familiar with it, Celsius, where you got to- Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you got to earn a good hefty sum on your crypto. So I was able to move that over. They changed the rules now, which I'm not happy about. Uh, but I'm still earning, so I'm gonna leave it alone. So that's another way um, that I'm in crypto. I don't do, outside of my primary home, I don't have a ton of real estate, but that is a mm-hmm. space that I would love to get in, uh, into a lot more in the future too. Okay, okay. So that's interesting. So real estate, stock crypto, that's, that's pretty good. So mm-hmm. um, equity is the thing that you're looking for in the future. This is this has uh, been amazing. I just wanna say thank you again for sharing your story. I mean, I learned a lot specifically about like, um, you know, Black Wall Street. I feel like I'm about to get off here now and go watch another documentary, right? Yeah. Um, because it's, 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 it's always interesting and hearing from someone that grew up in that area um, is pretty powerful. So I just want to say thank you again for your work, because, I, again, the reason that I'm such a fan of your work is because you talk about, you know, the fundamentals of investing, but you also preach a long term approach. And I think more voices are needed preaching long term. As you guys can see, I'm very frustrated with like the people chasing lottery tickets, <laughs> but it's because of the people that I deal with on a daily basis, the calls I get and the people that get hurt. And, you know, the, the, the first rule is not to lose the money you have before you start to make money. And I see so many people that look like me who get hurt, you know, chasing these lottery tickets. So, you know, I definitely wanted to bring you on and have you tell your story because you're someone that I see talking about the long term, talking about building over five, 10, 20 year periods. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we need to really, um, you know, help our folks get ahead. So I just want to say thank you for the work you do and thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. I want, want to pick back on that last point that you mentioned. Like people, people like us who who help people with their finances, mm-hmm. we do get upset because we're the ones. People get hurt, and then we have to fix it, and that makes our job harder. Like we're yeah. really trying to help help us help you, right? By avoiding some of those lottery tickets, by avoiding some of the the short term quick win mentality. So that really comes out of out of care and really yeah. trying to help y'all out. Um, so I appreciate you for bringing that up. Absolutely. And for our audience out there, make sure that you follow Building Bread. I'll put the links uh, to his IG and any other links that he would like me to share. I'll put them within the description as well as the show notes. So make sure you check him out. Check out all his work. Go pick up the books as well to support this brother because he's doing amazing work. And we have to support people that look like us that are putting out positive energy. So to our audience, as we always say, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much you keep. Game elevates. And we'll see you guys on our next episode. We appreciate you. Peace. Yeah.